I appreciate it. Let's pray and let's get started. Y'all ready? Father, thank you again for this good day, Lord. We thank you so much for the beautiful weather. God, I'm so just encouraged just because the sun's shining and it's pretty outside. Lord, I know we've needed rain, but God, it's been so good to see the sunshine, God. So thank you for that. God, thank you as we look at the sun coming up and Lord, uh, the season's changing, the grass turning green, the trees getting some uh, leaves on them, the flowers starting to bud. God, it helps us realize, God, you're sovereign. You're in control of all things, God, the seasons, the earth, and all things that's in it, God. So we just are thankful for that. As we come tonight and as we talk about conflict resolution, God, I pray that we would understand what an important topic it is, God, because all of us are in conflict. Sometimes the conflict's internal with ourselves. And God, we need to understand how to make that go away, Lord. We need to understand, God, when that conflict is with you and your word, God, how we uh, recognize and come to grips with how we should deal with those situations. And a lot of us have conflict especially those of us that are married, God. We've had conflict and we're going to continue to have it. So dealing with it in the correct manner, God, is a very, very helpful thing, God. And as we talked about last week, humility, God, I believe uh, humility comes before conflict resolution. We have to be humble enough to accept and realize, God, that we're frail, we're human, and that we're fallen. And God, we need to have that so that then we can come to each other and we can have conflict resolution. We can forgive each other and, God, we can move forward. God, help. I just pray our conversation tonight. Lord, would be about you. Lord, that your spirit would be with us. And I pray, God, that you would work and move as you see fit. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So I normally do a recap, but because it's 7.07 tonight, I'm not going to. Is that all right? You got the final word on that? Okay. So last week we did talk about uh, conflict, or we talked about humility. I want to give you one quote as we go and start talking about conflict resolution. This is from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It says, a man who confesses his sins in the presence of a brother knows that he is no longer alone with himself. He experiences the presence of God in the reality of the other person. I'll tell you one thing. One of the biggest issues we've got today is we carry things internally and wrestle and say we're good. And guess what? We are not good. And those, sometimes those internal issues that we have cause us to have conflict with other people. And we need to come to grips with that. So as we get started tonight... We're going to be looking into some conflict resolution. I hope everybody got a worksheet. A lot of what I'm going to be teaching about tonight is straight off that worksheet. So that's what we're going to be doing. So is conflict inevitable? Absolutely, right? If you're not going to have it with your uh, your spouse, you're going to have it with yourself, you're going to have it with somebody else. Most likely, if you drove somewhere today, you might have had some conflict, right? Conflict is all around us. How do you normally deal with it? Anger, right? What do we do oftentimes with that anger, though? We suppress it, right? We murmur. Any of y'all murmur? You're talking and you just talk like this and you're like, I can't believe this. And before long, if you're not careful, what happens to that? It carries over to bitterness. It carries over to our attitude. Not just about whatever that, we don't even remember what that conflict was about. But we need to learn how to deal with it. So here's some things we want to do first. First and foremost, we want to make sure that we understand that conflict's inevitable and we're going to learn how to use it to improve our communication and understanding. Wow, that sounds pretty psychological tonight. Psycho, psychological. That's what we want to do, right? So recognizing conflict. We want to understand and value differences between you and your spouse, and that's the first step towards resolving conflict. How many of y'all been married, let's say, 25 years or more? Okay, wow, that's pretty good. Wow, Sharon, I knew you were younger. Stephen? Oh, yeah, you're old. Never mind. Um, Once you've been married for a while, don't you think that your spouse should just know everything that you should? You know, they should just... We've been, we've been together for this long. Why in the world don't they know that's what I like? What's that called? It's called an assumption. And I'm not going to go into assume, right? We'll just leave it right there. But when we have those, what happens? It's, it causes problems. And 
Did you when, you, when you got married, I married her, one of the main reasons it is, she's nothing like me. Praise God, right? I mean, but oftentimes do I value that? Or do I want her to conform into what I want? I want to just, let's be honest and transparent. Y'all like that? Good, that's what we're going to do tonight. A lot of us put whatever image of our mother or father on our spouse. Good, bad, or ugly. And we say, well, that's how I grew up. My mama cooked. My mama did this. That's what my wife should do. Does that mean it's going to be exactly the same way? <laughs> no. It's not going to be. Because guess what you didn't marry? You didn't marry your mama. You didn't marry your daddy, right? That's not who you married. You married somebody else that's different, that God created differently than that. And sometimes we come and we think, hey, you know what? There's some differences, but we're not going to accept differences as much as we're going to look for those similarities. And we don't have enough similarities, we get conflict. So we need to understand and value the differences between us, and that's the first step. Unresolved conflict is detrimental to the health of your marriage. I'll say that one more time. Unresolved conflict is detrimental, hurtful to your marriage. That person is not the one responsible for all the issues. Most of them are shared. There's a combination of both in that. Unresolved conflict is very bad for your health and the health of your marriage. Do y'all realize that stress is one of the main causes of health issues today? If you go back to my grandparents' generation, very few of them, I believe, worried like we worry today. It was a little bit of a different time. But all the stress that we take and we heap it on ourselves and we wander around, and guess what it does? It takes a toll on us physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And we need to learn that conflict is something that's going to come at us. Guess what change is? It's inevitable as well. You cannot get up every morning and it be the exact same way and go, this is my life. It's going to be just like I want it. You are not the captain of your boat. If you are, guess what you need to do? You need to give it up to somebody else that needs to be the captain of your boat. Who is that? God, Jesus. That's a good combination of both of them. It sounds like the kindergarten class, right? Jesus, right? That's how we say every answer. No. When we try to control every aspect of our life, we're going to have major conflict. You know what you can control? You can control some things. You can control your attitude. Can you? Sometimes. It depends on who you're following. Depends on what food they serve, right? There's lots of things that you can But we can control our attitude. Can you control your compassion? Hey, there's teach right up right here. Ooh, ooh. There you go. There you go. Especially you, Trace. Wow, that's great. So there's certain things you can control. Can you control if you get up and read the scripture of a morning or of an afternoon or of an evening? Can you control that? Now, you might not be able to control what kind of impact it has on you if you have a bad attitude with it, right? But you can control certain things. Do you control what you can control? Or are you seeking to control what you can't? That's one of the problems with conflict. Conflict primarily comes when we seek to control something we have no business dealing with. A peaceful relationship with your spouse is possible when you pursue God's peace in your life. So let's turn in the scriptures tonight. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to be turning to some several different places tonight as we go through. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. I'm sure most of us have heard this once or twice, but it's good for us to hear one more time. Honey, you got that turned open? I know you like to read aloud to everyone. You do that with the preschoolers all day. Would you mind reading to everybody in here? Let him who stole steal no longer, 
labor, working with his hands. 26 and 27, that's good. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, we don't want to get over to stealing and stuff. That's, that's really tough, right? So, how many of y'all can remember something you're angry about that happened 10 years ago? Trace, you're too young to think like that. Come on now. Somebody stole his Legos. Somebody stole his Legos. <laughs> oh, shots fired. The problem we have is we remember anger. How many of you can remember something you're joyous about from 10 years ago? What do you choose to remember? The scriptures tell us what? It says, be angry and do not sin. Is anger a natural thing? Absolutely. So obviously God designed us. So did he design us to have anger? Mm-hmm. There was a little bit of pause. Right. He designed us to have anger about what he would be angry about. When you read the scriptures, is there things that make God angry? Absolutely, there's things that make God angry. Do the things that make God angry make us angry? Should. I didn't say should. Come on now. Is that what we're angry about? Are we angry about things that affect us? Be angry and do not sin. Interesting how that's put together. Because most of the time when we're anger, when we're angry, we're not worried too much about sin then, right? There's a place for us to be angry, but not to sin. When we immerse ourselves in this, guess what? We can be angry about what God is upset about and angry about, but not allow it to affect us to the point where we sin. So be angry, do not sin. I've got this stuff right now. Anger can be either good or bad depending on motive and purpose, right? Righteous anger hates injustice, hates immorality, hates ungodliness, and every other sin. The greatest example we have of anger in the scriptures, we look at Jesus. What did he do? He went in the temple and cleansed it. Why? He recognized the place. What was that place supposed to be? It was his father's house. And what were they doing? The exact opposite of that. They were trying to make money off of their fellow citizens. That's the problem. Righteous anger is something we should have in the corrupt world we live in today. And it should lead us to action. It shouldn't lead us to post something on Facebook. I just want to tell you something. That would do you no good at all. If you're angry about abortion, why don't we volunteer down at the place where they're taking young ladies in? Right? Hey, if you're angry about abortion, why don't we adopt children? Why don't we just get a little tyrant for just a minute? Y'all mind that? If we're angry about children being in bad situations, do you realize there's more churches in the United States of America than there are children in the foster care system? If every church would just stop one kid, guess what would happen? That whole system would go boop and be gone. But are we angry about that? We might be upset about it. Wow, I, somebody should do something about that. Somebody else, right? So be angry, but don't sin. And then it's interesting, it tells us, don't let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Why do you think that's put in there? Your anger today can turn into bitterness tomorrow. Well, God, why didn't you do something? Oftentimes we direct, just like if we went back to Genesis, right? The first sin com comes around and what happens? We directed everybody else but us. We should be angry, but our anger should lead us to righteous action, right? And remember that even righteous anger can turn to bitterness, so it needs to be set aside. So we need to make sure that we understand that. So, recognizing conflict, very important. We're going to move to transparency. What does it mean to be transparent? I'll give you an example, just for fun. I just thought about this. Barack Obama, when he was elected president of the United States of America, said he was going to have the most transparent a presidential presidency in the history of all, which means what? He's going to tell everybody what he was doing. 
Any politician that says that, you know they're lying, right? Pretty much. What does it mean to be transparent? I didn't hear. I said except where he was born. Oh, yeah. Now, I'm sorry I shouldn't have took that up, right? <laughs> right. Uh, so what does it mean to be transparent? Open and honest. Open and honest. Authentic, right? How many of us in here, do you know somebody that's transparent? Oh, bless your heart. I just have to say that. Whew. Bless your heart. We need to be transparent, but we don't necessarily need to be open about everything with every person. Does that make sense? Sometimes we can be transparent to the whole world, and we don't necessarily need to be that way, right? We need to be transparent, though. We need to be sure that people can see our heart and our motive. Number one step to be toward, uh, transparent is we need to be transparent with God. Be open with God. Let's return to the psalm real quick, like Psalm 139. And I'll probably go ahead and say to the small group leaders, I'm going to apologize in advance because I've got like six pages and I might take a little long tonight, but it's good. So, number one, Psalm 139, 23 to 24 says this. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. Interesting word, anxieties. And see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. How many of us pray this every day? This should be something we write down and every morning we get up in the... We should say, God, search me. Make sure that my heart's right. Before I go and interact with anybody else, make sure I'm right with you. Because if I ain't right with you, I ain't going to be no good to nobody else. We need to ask God. Because you know why? Why does it tell us to ask God to search us? It must not be apparent to us what's wrong. Right? We need God to reveal it to us. Jerry, you never had that problem. It's pretty close right there, right? You never have that issue? You're not going to look at me stonewall there. I say you are, right? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. A lot of us today, we think nobody knows what we're going through. Nobody knows the troubles I've seen. Nobody knows what I'm going through. And we do what then? We isolate ourselves over here because we think nobody else has experienced what I've experienced. Nobody else has went through what I've went through. God knows exactly where you're at. He's got grace for you in this season. And it is a season. It's not forever. Make sure we understand that. So let's continue because i got a lot of stuff going on. We want to be open with God. The second thing we want to do is we want to create an atmosphere of love, commitment, and forgiveness in your home. Colossians 3, 12 through 14. says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies. I've always found that to be interesting because mercy should be pretty tender anyway, right? But he says, no, 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 it's not just mercy. It's tender mercies. Kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But of all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. The elect of God, he's talking to us, right? That's who he's talking to. We're supposed to put on mercy, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another. Is that our actions towards our spouse? towards those that we're closest with. Oftentimes, we show up the good, the bad, and the ugly at home, right? We come here and we're all ha-ha-ha brothers and sisters, right? When we get home, though, it's like, we sort of let things go a little bit. And that's the people God's exactly commanding us to have the most mercy for, the most kindness towards, the most humility, the most meekness, the most long-suffering. We're supposed to bear with them more than we're supposed to bear with anyone else. So we need to make sure that we create that atmosphere. It's got to be something we do intentionally every time. Number three, we need to affirm your spouse when they practice transparency. When they say, hey, 
I'm having troubles, and you say, I can't believe you're like that. Next time, they're probably not going to come and say, I'm having troubles. You know, they're trying to see where I'm going to be at. Proverbs 16, 24, pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. How do you, when somebody's transparent, how do you deal with it, and how do you react to it? If you react the wrong way, most likely they're not going to continue. The last thing in this, you need to pray with each other regularly. Colossians 4.2, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Don't, one of the main reasons, you can, it's very difficult to pray with your spouse when you're angry with them. I found that. You can do that, but that's pretty much good for nothing, right? You need to make sure that you pray with each other regularly because guess what? In that, you're resolving some conflict. You're making sure that there's still intimacy there. Some principles here. An environment of love, commitment, forgiveness helps a person to be more willing to be known by another. If you're really going to bite somebody's head off every time they come at you, it's going to be very hard to get really to their heart because they're going to put up a wall. To enjoy the privileges of transparency, the power of the tongue must be used wisely. Can I show you the power of the tongue in a lot of ways? Everybody practice. You ready? If we can do this a little bit more and listen, we'll have a whole lot better life. But oftentimes we don't because we want to Tell them what's wrong. I heard you. Let me fix it. Hey, man, am I, can I speak to y'all for just a minute? Our wife comes and they want to talk to us. And I go, okay, if you'll do this, this, and this, that's gone. That ain't what she come to talk to me about. She wanted to come and share her heart with me. And I'm like, okay, but for me, I'd rather, let's fix it. Let's move on. I don't want to hear it anymore. Boop, let's go down the road, right? That's not what we're here for, right? Being transparent is being listening, being empathetic, and being able to acknowledge, yes, I hear you. I understand you. It took me almost 28 years of marriage to say that, but it took me a while, right? The next part is listening. Listening helps diffuse conflict. I just said that. One of the biggest things we should do is listen to understand, not listen to respond. Listen to understand, don't listen to respond. James 1.19. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We need to listen to other people. Hear their heart. Ask them questions to continue getting, give, uh, developing a picture where you understand what's going on. Sometimes they tell you one thing and you have to ask a good question. Jesus was the great, great question asker. Go and read the scriptures where he deals with people. He asks them questions all the time. Teacher, what do you say about this? Well, he asks them a question back. And what does it do? It gives them another perspective, another layer to see where their heart is. That's what we really need to be looking for when we're listening, where their heart is. How to become a good listener. Proverbs 1.5, a wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. You want to be a good listener? Go around people and listen to them. Invest your time in someone else to listen to what's going on in their life. Now, don't be afraid to interject occasionally if you get over here in the ditch, right? We want to get back to what's important, right? And sometimes it's hard to stay on task. So listening. Principle, a commitment to becoming a better listener will help you avoid many conflicts and will also help you resolve others before they become too intense. If you listen to somebody, oftentimes they'll tell you what's going on. When we cut them off and we don't listen fully, that's where conflict comes sometimes. Sometimes we just need to listen fully to what they have going on. So we've talked about, let's see, we talked about resolving conflict, transparency, listening, and now we're going to go to confronting people. How many of y'all like to confront other people? No hands come up. Wow. John? Oh, come on now. I expect you to, okay. Confronting people, guess what? It's not something we like to do. Is it something we need to do? Are we supposed to confront the culture? Absolutely. Most of the time we don't. Some normal conflict patterns. We have fight to win. 
When you conflict with somebody, they're going to take you down as hard as they possibly can, right? They're, they're in it to win it, regardless of the outcome. Grenade, everybody blows up, but guess what? I won. Not the best way to conflict. Withdrawal. One of the worst ways to conflict, right? You just go, well, okay, you just go ahead and do whatever you want to do, right? Not the best way. Yield, different than withdrawing, right? Withdrawing, you just completely yield. You're like, I'm just along for the ride now. Whatever you say. And then we have loving confrontation. I've got a couple of scriptures in here that I'm going to go through real quick, like, to see, make sure there's some examples from the scriptures. So, Genesis 16, 1 through 3. Now, Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant. And what did she do? She said, hey, let's just supersede God completely and go do this. And what did Abram do? Okay, honey, that sounds like a good plan. Yep, God said we're going to have a kid, but I guess maybe he meant this way. So out of those four patterns, where did he go? Which one did he do? Yep, he just said, okay, honey, I, I pretty much supersede this to you, and we'll go with your plan. Not a good choice, right? First Samuel 20, 33, then Saul cast a spear to kill David. And that's how Jonathan knew it was determined by his father to kill David. So what's that? So I was like, I ain't going down without taking him out with me. He fought to win, even though he was wrong. Uh, and then the last one is in Luke. Luke 10, 38 through 42. It says, now it happened as they went that they entered a certain village. And this is talking about Martha and Mary. And uh, Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet hearing his words. And Martha's what? She's distracted. That's me part of the time. I'm over here working like a wild man. And I'm like, how come nobody's helping? Well, maybe that's not what I should be doing, right? And she goes to Jesus, and Jesus says what? I understand. You've selected that. This is what he has. Loving confrontation, right? Hey, not, you did such a great job. I'm so glad you serve over here. No, nope, nope. Guess what? That's what you chose, and you're bearing the consequences of your actions. Man, do y'all like saying that to people? Well, you know why you're, right? why you're in the ditch? Because you fell in the ditch, because you went in the road. I love you, right? That's not quite what we do often, right? We want to pet people. Sometimes you've got to pet them a little bit, but oftentimes you've got to do what? Tell them the truth. We need to tell people the truth in love, right? I had a guy I used to work with, and he always told the truth, but we always called it the grit factor was about a 20, right? You ever had sandpaper? It gets down to where it just takes the hide off, right? We've got to get up in about 400, 600 grit, truth and love, right? A little easier, right? So the principle for this, for, for confrontation to benefit a relationship, truth must be shared with love. We need to tell people the truth. But would you tell them that in a way that shows them that God loves them, right? Three steps towards uh, loving confrontation. Number one, we need to look inward. Matthew 7 tells us that great parable that Jesus says, Hey, you're over here straining at your brother, and he's got this little bitty place, and what have you got? You've got a sycamore tree growing out your head, right? You need to make sure that you're right before you can do anything for somebody else, right? You can't help somebody get their rocks out of a ditch if you're in the ditch already. You need to make sure that you're right. Look inward. Number two, we need to choose the right place and the right time. I've said before, if you want to tell me that I'm wrong, don't do it when I'm hungry. I will reject all of your advice because I just, that's just not something. You need to choose the right place and the right time. In marriage, guess what you should do? You should know that other person. You should know what that best place and best time is. Proverbs 25, 11, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. A word fitly spoken in the right place and the right time. Number three, we need to speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which each part does its share, causes growth of the body for edifying of itself in love. But your words there, speak the truth in love. That's what Christ did. 
And then 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 5, we've heard this chapter often, but love suffers long and yet still kind. Love doesn't envy, love doesn't parade itself, it's not puffed up, it does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, it's not provoked, and it thinks no evil. Speak the truth in love. Confronting others because you care about them, not because you have to. Confronting others because you care about them. And then the last thing as we get down is forgiving. When you forgive another person, you cancel a debt, you pardon an offense, and you give up resentment. The principle here, to maintain a healthy marriage relationship, you've got to forgive your spouse as God has forgiven you. Why is the divorce rate in the church at 60-something percent just like the world? Because we don't know how to forgive other people. We expect to be forgiven, but we really don't expect to forgive others. Here's the thing we don't understand. Forgiving others, forgiving our spouse, sets us free to experience the love and oneness in our marriage. When we hold on to things, we're not allowing forgiveness to take the place that it should. We need forgiveness. And the power to forgive don't come from you. If it's in your power, you're pretty much done. You didn't really forgive. It only comes from God's Spirit as you do what? You give Him control of your life. So, a couple of scriptures here. We need to give up the right of punishment, right? We don't mind forgiving somebody, but we want to make sure they get what they should get, right? That's not forgiveness. I'm sorry, that's not, that's not forgiveness. Ephesians 4, 20 through 24, it says, But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your, form, concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Did Jesus have the right to punish those who hung him on a cross? What did he say? Remember what he said on there? Forgive them, right? If he can say that to people who just drove spikes in his hands and feet, what in the world are we saying that we can't forgive somebody for? I mean, really, if we stopped and thought about that on a regular basis, I'm not going to forgive them because they did what? I mean, we really need to have a little better perspective. And then if you keep reading in uh, Ephesians 4, down at 31 and 32, it says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. God's forgiving you just a little bit of your sin, right? No, He's forgiving you all of it. If He's forgiving you all of it, then why would you hold anything over anybody else here? Because if we do that, are we showing them the love of Christ? We're saying God can forgive you just this much because that's all I can forgive. Not how we should do, right? So another thing we need to do is we need to yield yourself to the control of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 5 and 6. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. We need to yield ourselves to the control of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's going to guide us into all things, including forgiveness of others. Last thing, we need to choose not to dwell in the past. The past is back there. Is it to remember occasionally from? Yeah, God's brought me from there to here, but we don't need to dwell there. Isaiah chapter 43, 18 and 19 says this, Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing, and now it shall spring forth, shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. We need to make sure that we're not dwelling in the past with other people's. We need to, other people's. 
<laughs> we need to move forward, right? And the, there's an importance in forgiveness. Why is it so important? Because Jesus forgave us. Remember when, when Peter came up to Jesus, he said, how many times am I supposed to forgive these people? What did he tell him? He gave him a number. So hopefully y'all have got a little thing, a little book, and you're over going, I'm up to 48. Next time you're done for, right? Or 490. Well, you might have to count a long ways. A lot more than I can count on these hands, right? We need to understand it's so important to forgive and not only to be forgiven, but to ask for forgiveness and grant forgiveness. Y'all read the story of the product of the, the parable of the lost son and put yourself in that place? Many times, right? We're the ones who said, hey, I deserve it all. I want what's best for me now in this life. This is the only life I've got. I want to do whatever I want to do. And we get over where oftentimes in the world? All the way over into the bottom. And then we all of a sudden remember who God is. And what does He do? He's still there to run to us and say, no, I forgive you. You're still my son. You're still my child. And then when we look at other people who are image bearers of God, do we extend that same grace, mercy, and love to them? What about the one who we've been called to oneness in in our relationship as a marriage? Mm, we really need to understand that. Wrapping it up. Blessing for insult versus insult for insult. I found this very interesting. Uh, one of the biggest issues we've got is the fact that we want to ch exchange an insult for insult. Somebody comes at us, we're going to come back at them, right? You come at me hard, I'm going to come back even harder. We did that with our spouse. That's not how it should be. We should return a blessing for an insult, right? 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9 says, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. And why? Because you're called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. We're a blessing to others because that's what God's called us to be. 1 Peter 2, 21-23 says this as well. For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow His steps. What was His steps? He committed no sin, nor was deceit found in His mouth. And when He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He didn't threaten, but He committed Himself to, to Him who judges righteously. Is that the attitude that we have? Luke 6, 27-28, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. Do you have a prayer list of those in your life that don't like you? Do you go to the Father regularly and say, Hey, Father, I ask you to bless this, this person. Or do we say, Hey, I really want you to give them what they've given me. We need to make sure we understand in order to forgive, we need to return blessings for insults. Three steps to a blessing relationship. I'm going to read a scripture, then go to the, th to the three. 1 Peter 3, 10 and 11. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. And these three come straight from that. Number one, if you want to have a blessing relationship, keep your tongue from evil. My daddy used to say this. If you ain't got nothing good to say, shut your mouth. He, would, he would, didn't play at all. And if you didn't shut your mouth, you might have other things that came afterwards, right? Keep your tongue from evil. One of the best ways of doing it sometimes is to just not say certain things. Number two, turn away from evil and do good. Instead of having some evil come your way and decide, I'm going to go back that way, no, do the opposite. Someone wants to do something that you find is harmful or wrong, do the opposite. Turn it into a blessing. Why? Because you're showing what? Christ's love. You're doing the opposite. Seek peace and pursue it. 
And that's the steps to a blessing relationship. Wow. Got close to it. There's a little thing here at the end. Uh, y'all, y'all got it on your sheets. Y'all can talk it in your small groups. I'll do that. And it talks about insult and blessing. Apologize for talking so loud or and so quickly there. Just trying to get through it all because I think this is going to be some really good conversations in your small groups. Anybody got anything before we go to our small groups? Here's what I'd ask you tonight. As you go and start talking about conflict resolution, when I, when I pray right now, I want you to ask God, is there somebody I'm in conflict with? Ask God to reveal that name, who that is to you. And here's what I'd ask you to do. After we talk tonight, if it's somebody in the room, whoever it is, make it right. Don't let it go. Say, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it the next day. No, no, no. Make it right today. If you have conflict with somebody, take steps to make it right. Can you make them forgive you? No, you can't make nobody do nothing, right? Very difficult. But you can be right with God and right with somebody else. And that's all you can really do, right? What can you control with that? Not a lot. Control what you can. Do what's right, okay? Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you so much that you resolved the conflict we had called sin. God, you took that sin on your son on the cross. And God, I'm, I'm amazed when I look around at how much uh, conflict I have with others sometimes, God. Most of it, actually all of it, is just because I'm selfish. God, I'm just selfish and I'm full of myself and I want what I want, not what you want. So God, I just pray tonight, God, as we've learned and it's been rushed some, God, and forgive me for that, but I just pray, Lord, as we look at these tools to put in our toolbox, God, I pray we would understand how important it is for us to recognize what conflict does, not just in our marriage, but also in the church, in our community, and God, in our nation. God, look at our world today, how much conflict we have. And mostly it's all because we're prideful. God, we looked last week and talked about humility, and I pray as we would seek to be humble, God, we would also seek to, uh, God, we would seek to not have conflict with someone else. God, we would seek their betterment. God, as we humble ourselves before you, God, we would seek others to be built up, not ourselves. It's not about our kingdom, God. We don't, we don't have a kingdom here, God. We're so thankful that you, God, graciously chose to allow us to be in your kingdom. And so, God, I pray tonight as we talk about conflict resolution and the steps there, God, I pray, Lord, that uh, you would bring to mind, God, maybe some people that we're in conflict with, some people from our past, some people from our present. God, and I pray that tonight as we uh, understand how to deal with it, God, I pray you would uh, help us to take action with those people we're in conflict with. Lord, for uh, marriages in the room, God, where there's, I know there's conflict, God, because every relationship has it. God, I pray, Lord, you would help us, Lord, to take these tools and we would use it regularly with our spouse. God, we would be transparent. We would be open. We'd be forgiving. God, we wouldn't hold anything from tomorrow today. God, we'd say, you know what? Whatever happened yesterday, thank you, God, for getting us through it, for showing your mercy. And God, we have mercies renewed this morning and tomorrow morning. And God, help us to be thankful for that and to really, really just love each other, God, as you loved us first. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.